week, and we only got done with 37. If I do not pick up the pace, I will be teaching psalms through the rapture, which is just fine. Psalm 38, you're going to see a little bit of this tied together with Job, actually, which is interesting. Remember how we talked in a Job, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, that uh, people that are religious, and yet at the end of the book of Job, he said, I didn't know nothing, right? I, I, I didn't have an understanding of what God was really saying. And oftentimes we, we look at Psalms, we look at David, and we look, like this guy is like in tune with God, and yet he really doesn't have a full understanding. And so he makes statements like Job is going to make statements that really aren't um, doctrinally uh, uh, right. So as we go through these, we'll kind of point some of them out, but you're going to love these three chapters. It is filled uh, with, again, just the heart of David, a servant of God. 38 verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for what you do for us, Lord, and how your, your grace is there. And we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. And we thank you for servants, Lord. Thank you for those serving around the building. And, Father, that your hand would be upon our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen to what David says here, um, because It's the same thing that happened in, in the day of Martin Luther. Sorry, my brain just kind of stopped there for a minute, but it kicked back in. Uh, in Martin Luther's day, we've talked about this, how the church had promoted this kind of angry God and that he was always kind of a little bit askew and mad at you and it was this vengeful God, this God that was immediately going to send you in hell. And in the Old Testament, the God, and I'm not making this as an Old Testament, a New Testament God, but in the Old Testament they taught, again, if God was blessing you, you would be financially sound and you would be healthy. And the opposite then, if you weren't financially sound and you weren't healthy, then God had some kind of problem with you. Has everybody got that? That's what was taught. And so you can understand what David says, but he really doesn't have correct doctrine. Can that be true? Yes, but most of the time it's because we live on a fallen world and we have sinners, we talked about this on Sunday, all around us, right? So this world is filled with sinners, and when you have sinners around, you're going to have issues and you're going to have problems. David brought a lot of his problems upon what? Himself. He didn't need God's help. He didn't need Satan's help. He did it all by himself, just like you and I. We do very well on our own being knuckleheads. And so, but hear that because even inside of the church today, there is still that, that idea that, well, if I'm not financially sound or I have health issues, it's because I've sinned against God. No, it just means that we live in a fallen world. And so David says, listen, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. So whatever David is going through right now, he thinks that it's God not liking him for the moment. Now, how can that be? We know that God can't love us any less or any more. So David is having this idea, well, the reason why I, I feel like this is because I've done something against God. 
Now, again, that could be, but more unlike, more unlikely, that was great, uh, it is David's um, consequences of his sin. He says in verse 2, For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses down upon me. Now, I don't want to uh, discount what David is feeling. And here's often the problem is we start to feel this way, but we don't take it to the Bible and find out if it's really true or not. We just stay in that state of feeling like it is being a... But, but the Lord doesn't want us to be in that state. He says, your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses down upon me. Again, maybe you tonight are in this state where you feel that, but we serve a good, good father, do we not? He said, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. Now, Dave, I'm not sure that's correct. It could very well be. But do you see now how we can get this two different gods from the Old Testament to the New Testament? People say, well, look, Dave's saying it. Obviously, God is angry at David, but he's not. That's not how a loving father deals with their children. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. So now that can be the case because of the consequences of our sin. We can feel the weight of that, but it doesn't mean that it is coming directly from God. He said, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Now, Dave's right. David is correct. Our sin and our foolishness, right, it gets, it gets us in all kinds of messes. He said, I'm troubled, and I bow down greatly, and I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. Now, we know medically that worrying can do that to your body, can it? So you can be in this state, and David could very well have been in this state where he has got himself all worked up. And yet, it's not really coming from the Lord. But he's got himself so worried that his body is now being affected by that. So worry does that. Fear does that. Anxiety does that. But again, we are children of the Most High God. He said, I am feeble, verse 8, and severely broken, and I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Now, Let's set all aside what I just said about David and angry at God and, and uh, that God's not angry with him, but we can understand some of these verses, right? That, that I, I am feeble and I'm severely broken and I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. This is where God wants to get us. Where we are in our sin, he wants us to get to that place of brokenness, so we do what? We don't look to ourselves anymore. We look to God. So we turn to him for our strength. He says, Lord, all of my desire is before you, and my sign is not hidden before you. David says, Lord, you know my heart. You know what is broken. You know what pain is going on. And let me just say this again for anybody in the state today. God knows exactly where you are. If it's sin in your life, then then you need to get to that place of brokenness and cry out to the Lord. And listen, 
Uh, that's why in the New Testament it says to confess your sins one to another. We love to confess other people's sins to everyone else. But that's not what it says. It means to declare something to somebody else who you know will be in confidence in that. That's why we have people to come up and pray with you every service so that you can pray uh, about something. You're not going to shock them. It's okay. They've heard it all. And God's heard it all. But there is something amazing about uh, giving that over and then saying, oh, Lord, thank you that you are able to take that away from me. And there is a weight that is lifted off of me. He says, Lord, all of my desire is before you, and my sign is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. And for the light of my eyes, it is also gone out for me. You, you can hear David's anguish. You can even hear that at the end of the verse there where he would be weeping and he can't even see anymore. It, it has totally wrecked this guy. Now remember, what has he done? A lot, hasn't he? Bathsheba killed a guy, covered it up, went a whole year, and then Nathan the prophet comes and declares to him, what does that one year look like? Is he in that one year period now? Is he at the end of it? Is this afterwards? We're not told that. Notice what he says. He says, um, no, 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 verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand afar off from my plague, and my relatives also stand afar off. Notice that it says, my friends and my relatives... They stand off because of my plague. That's, this is the idea that we're going to get with Job. Job's friends are going to be there, and yet they, they in, the, in their religiousness, they stand afar off and they cast this uh, uh, upon Job. That isn't true at all. So too with David's friends and relatives. And those also who seek my life lay a snare for me. And those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute who does not open up his mouth. He's going to tell us in the next couple of chapters about our tongue and about our mouth. And it would seem that these are tied together. He said, thus I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope, listen, you will hear, O Lord my God. Now, obviously, if we cry out to the Lord or we pray to the Lord in a right heart, right, it's not the Saturday night repentance that happens every Saturday night. God doesn't hear that, does he? He hears what's genuine. And when, when it's genuine, then listen to this. He says, for you, O oh Lord, I hope, I place all of my hope in you that you will hear me. O oh Lord, listen, circle this, it's my God. So David gets to that place again where he's surrendering and his life is about not himself, but of the Lord. He said, for I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. Would you note that when? My foot slips. It's not if. We all slip. And what he says is, hey, when I slip, when I, when I mess up, Lord, would you cover that? He said, for I am ready to fall 
and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, and I will be in anguish over my sin. So it took a while for him to get to it, didn't he? He cried out, it, it was poor me, all of this is going on, and he finally gets to where he should have said in verse 1, he said, I declare my iniquity, Lord, I confess it to you, and I will be in anguish over my sin. I, I am giving it to you, I'm declaring it to you, Lord, so that you would forgive me of my sin, right? 1 John 1, 9, let's turn to it. I want everybody just to make sure it's there and it's highlighted in everybody's verse and then highlighted in your neighbor's Bible. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess, that, that's, that's what David is doing. So when I confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. So when we declare that, now you can turn back to 38, Psalm 38. When we declare that, just like David does, God, God cleanses our sin. It, it, it's a promise that he will remove that from us. He continues and he says in verse 19, But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. This is the problem that David realized because when Nathan comes on the scene and tells, tells David of his sin, what is one of the big things that he says to David? He, he says, David, yeah, the sin and the death and the, the covering up, he goes, but I'll tell you the biggest problem. The biggest problem are the, the heathen nations that now look upon uh, uh, the children of Israel and upon you specifically, and they, they use derision, or they mock God. And so uh, Nathan tells him, hey, listen, uh, verse 19, he says, but my enemies are vigorous and they are strong, and those who hate me have wrongfully multiplied. They multiply because they see that. And those who also render evil for good, and they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. So the enemies of David, the enemies of, uh, of the body of Christ as well, notice, who render evil for good, and they are my adversaries because I follow what's good. This is just an easy principle to remember. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to do what to you? Hate you. I don't know why, I don't know where it came from, but the church wants to be loved by the world. They want to be okay with it, and you cannot do that. The world is going to hate you. Notice, simply because you and I do good, the enemies of God come against us just for good. Just standing up for life will get you banned from Facebook Instagram. I mean, you'll just get canceled because, hey, you posted something about life or you posted something that is good. How many of you have been just banned lately, had a flag on there? I, I get it regularly. So um, I, I, maybe I have a little bit more South Carolina rebel in me than I thought. But uh, I'm just putting good out there. I'm just putting truth out there. And Listen, those who render evil 
for good, for they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Now listen, do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. And listen, do not be far from me. David will say, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me, and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take it from me. And here's the idea. Lord, I messed up, but don't walk away from me. He said, make haste to help me. And notice how, I love how David uh, phrases his, his words, the Lord, my salvation. So David knows that there is nothing that he can do uh, that he receives salvation on his own. It is only from God. Psalm 39. He said in verse 1, To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue and I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Man, let's take that verse out of the Bible. I don't need that in there. What? What? David was smart enough to know that it's a good idea to keep your mouth closed. Listen that he puts muzzle. What is a muzzle? I mean, you put it on a dog and it wraps around, the dog can't get it off. It's like the Lord tells us when to be quiet. Listen, I guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue and I restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. That is a gold nugget in the Psalms. Highlight that one. He said, I was mute with silence. And I held my peace, even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. Why does he say I held my peace from good? Jesus said, you sometimes cast pearls before who? Swine. And I like swine. They're good, tasty. But his point was sometimes, and you see this, you tell people about the Bible, you tell people what's good, right over, and then they attack you for it. And this is where discernment comes in. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit to tell you when to say things and when not to say. It is better just to be, verse 1, quiet. He said, my heart, and now, uh, don't look at it for a minute. What happens when you're muzzled for a while and there's evil around and stupidity everywhere? I mean, is it me or I can't watch mainstream media without a blood pressure cuff. It should be hooked to the TV, amen. Eric, there's an invention. We just made a million. We'll split it. Right? It goes, because it's, they're out of control with crazy. And you, you can hear David's heart here. I know that we, we can feel this way. He says, my heart is hot within me. While I was musing, the idea was when I was keeping my mouth quiet and I wasn't saying anything, he said, the fire burned. (laughs) And then what happens? Then I spoke. And that's not going to be good for anybody, is it? When we're in our hot time of burning. Better to go back to verse 1. Put an arrow from this to 1. 
when all else fails, go back to one. He said, Lord, (laughs) make me to know my end and what is the measure of my day that I might know uh, how frail I am. Listen to what David says, Lord, I just want to know when it's going to end because I cannot handle COVID again. Or you add whatever, right? Whatever crazy is under the sun, he would say the same thing. He is, Lord, just let me know when my end is up. Put my name on the jumbo screen. You're going home at this date. And what is the measure of my day that I might know how frail I am? Indeed, verse 5, listen to these beautiful words. You have made my death days as a hand breath. Now, hand breath is just four fingers on your hand, so that's not very wide, is it? He says, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best is but a vapor. What do you think about that? That's what Selah means. Again, David understood that he, like every man, is at his best merely a vapor, a puff of steam or smoke. One commentary put it this way, he learned that since life is short and the only real meaning of a man or a woman's existence must be in his relationship to God, for God is eternal. He realizes that this life is just for a moment. I mean, We put so much energy into this life. And aren't you glad we just finished Revelation? We know the end of it all. We know where we're going. We we know our new address, right? It's the new Jerusalem on a new planet. You get your new apartment. You get God's name on your forehead. And then whatever happens after that is just going to be incredible. He says, surely every man walks about like a shadow and surely they busy themselves in vain, and he heaps up riches, and he doesn't know who gathers them in. It's like that rich man who said, I'm going to go build bigger barns. And Jesus says, you're a fool, for tonight your life is required of you. Again, each one of them walks about, but like a shadow, living a life of no substance. You know, the the secret to life is a relationship with God, with the Creator, with His Son, Jesus Christ, having the Holy Spirit indwell you. That's the secret to life. It's not about your car, your home, or your, your 401K that they'll take from you some year down the road. Whatever it is, it is all about a relationship with God. And the second most important thing is the person sitting next to you. It is your relationship with your family and then your church family. That's what's important. But they, they are busy about, they're busy about in vain being blind of eternal things. Again, not to keep quoting Revelation, but through the, through the uh, tribulation, they're successful and God's wrath is being poured upon. People are probably making millions of dollars during that time, but it won't matter. Because at the end of the seven years, it's all gone, right? It all burned up. Each of them works hard and heaps up riches, yet they, they, uh, they do not think beyond um, this life. And that is so sad. Um, so I, I have a love-hate relationship with funerals. 
Um, part of my job is to, to marry you and bury you, right? And um, I don't mind doing them. And it's interesting to see people when they come to a memorial or a celebration of life, and you can clearly tell uh, that they have not been in a church for decades. They're uncomfortable. They don't know what to do, right? They're walking around little days. They think we're going to throw holy water on them or something, you know. We're going to make them <laughs> do something. They're confused. There's no kneelers here. They're just, they don't know what's going on. But that is my opportunity to look them in the eye and say, listen, where would you be if you breathed your last? And it is an opportunity. Death is always that opportunity to wake people up and say, what are you going to do with eternity? And it forces them. Why? Because man's life is but a vapor. How many of you have raised kids and then you, you look at them and they're 18? You're like, you're like Mateo out there. You were crawling on the ground. And then now they're 40 and they move back in. It's not fair. <laughs> Love them anyway. Whatever the case may be, and you, now you're in your 60s or 70s and you're looking at your kids and, and you're like, where did the time go? It's just but a vapor. So we have to enjoy what we have now. Listen, this is why I've been harping on fear and worrying for the last two years. It does nobody any good. Yes? It's like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but you get nowhere. Right? It's fun to sit in. Fear's nice. Oh, I love my fear blanket. But it doesn't get anybody anywhere. So live life. Enjoy life. Guys, they want to shut everything down. They want to control everything. We're just not going to do that. I watched a, a little uh, uh, documentary yesterday about COVID in the Amish community. It was awesome. Those people don't care at all. I think we should move there. They didn't care one bit. They came in. I don't know uh, if you know about Amish communion, but the, there was a Mennonite speaking for the Amish, but he clearly knows what he's doing. Everybody got that? Because the Amish don't talk on camera. And he's like, listen, it first came into the area. Everyone went to church that Sunday. We had communion. Everybody drank from the same cup. Everybody got communion. Two weeks later, no communion or no COVID. And he goes, everybody was fine. No one went to the hospital because they don't believe in the hospitals and the medical system of the Englishmen. And I thought, wow, you're not going to hear this story anywhere in the mainstream anything. They didn't fear they live their life because they have family and they have friends and tradition. We may not agree with everything our Amish brothers and sisters do, but at least they did not cower in fear when the rest of the world was hiding out. It was great to watch that. And now, O oh Lord, verse 7, what do I wait for? He says, my hope is in you. My hope is not in medicine or the government or the next election or whatever. It, my hope is in God. 
I mean, I vote. I do what I'm supposed to in the nation that God has allowed me to live in. And I use all of the rights. Paul used all of his rights. As a Roman citizen, when they slapped him on the face, he said, hey, buddy. Now, I'm paraphrasing. It's Ron's Bible. But he said, hey, buddy, I'm a Roman. And what did they do? They cowered in fear. They knew that they would be put to death by slapping a Roman. Paul used his rights. As a Roman citizen, he said, hey, that's not right. That's not what the law says. In this country, we have certain inalienable rights. And But my hope is still in God. He said, deliver me from all of my transgressions. Do not make me a reproach of the foolish. So again, verse 8, going back to Nathan's uh, talk that he had. Hey, repent, David. And listen, let's not have the foolish, the nations of the world come against the Jewish people or Jehovah God because of your transgression. Verse 9 says, I was mute and I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. He says, remove your plague from me and I am consumed by the blow of your hand. Now, is that right? Well, I don't, I can't say for definite, but David had the sin with Bathsheba. David was the one who ordered Uriah's death, right? It was all David. And so David is just reaping those consequences. He says in verse 11, when with rebuke you correct you correct man for iniquity you make his beauty melt away like a moth surely again like he said before every man's uh, every man is a vapor selah what do you think about that so god corrects his children it is correction but it is not something that puts us in a place of condemnation how do we know that? What, what does Roman tell us? For there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if you feel condemned, listen, it's not from our dad. If you feel correction, good. If you feel condemnation, it's coming from the enemy. Because God wants to bring you back into his presence. He doesn't want to push you away, and that's what the devil does. He wants to push you far away from God, and he doesn't want you, and I'm talking to you on the camera and on the radio, he doesn't want you to come to church. Because you say, well, they won't love me anymore. If I come back, someone will know what I did. You're shocking nobody in your sin. We just read in Corinthians, did we not? that everybody goes through the same stuff because we're human beings. We're not shocked by that, and neither is the Lord. And he says in verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give an ear to my cry. And do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you and a sojourner as all of my fathers were. That means he knows that this world is not his home. He will soon move in with his dad. He said, remove your gaze from me. And the idea is, Lord, stop looking at me. <laughs> it's like Job. Uh, Lord, why did you have to pick on me? You know, the great thing about Job is, is that God knew that there was one guy on planet Earth that he could defeat Satan in this accusation. Remember that one guy, Noah? It seems that there's, there is a theme in the Bible. 
It's a one guy, one gal. This is what God uses. He doesn't use the big multitudes. He uses one person. He used Abraham in all of Abraham's failure. Man, you think David had some failures. Father Abe. He said, remove your gaze from me. Stop looking at me, Lord, that I might regain my strength before I go away and I'm no more. I mean, we can, uh, we can sympathize with David and say, Lord, this has just been way too much. And he says, I already forgave your sin. I don't know what your problem is. That's the devil in your head. As soon as we confess our sin, he, he has forgotten it. How does he do that? As from the east is to the west, he doesn't remember our sin anymore. How does he do that? He chooses not to. It's beautiful, but the enemy, he, man, he got a big hard drive. He got all your sins, and he loves to bring them up again and again, and he says, he says, you can't go to church. Your God doesn't love you. Your father doesn't love you. He's disgusted at your sin. Chapter 40. Now, David here, partly, part of these uh, verses are a messianic psalm. So remember, there's, um, it fulfills two different things. It fulfills David's psalm, and you can hear David, but you can also hear David writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking of what Christ is about to say when he comes on the scene. But David starts it out by saying, I wait patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. When we have that quiet time to be able, listen, how important is it? Can I, can I ask you to do something, please? Please pray for our Camp Arrowwood. And God knows the timeline that we're trying to get things done. He knows it's just not going faster than I would like, and I want to get people up there so they can turn off their phones and get onto that property and be quiet with the Lord and hear from him. There are times where I just drive out, be it on the tractor or whatever, I just drive out and I just sit, and our property is so big up there, you just sit there. Now, granted, the neighbors are firing their rifles because it's country Chesney. But you can just sit there and it's quiet. You can hear the stream. And it's amazing what happens when you get alone with God. And listen to what he says. I wait patiently for the Lord. How do I do that? Well, I turn off. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. So I, I just pray that you guys would cover Arrowwood in your prayers. They're, they're always doing work up there. We're trying to get these cabins built. We don't have the concrete pillars in, but they're soon going in there. And then, men, we're going to have this building blitz, and we're going to build two cabins immediately. And listen, we, we have some really amazing plans for that property. We want to build a little Bible college because right now the big Bible colleges aren't having people. So we want to build something that's smaller that we can accommodate, like 24 kids. Can you imagine that, having kids come? and just being on that property, and just hearing from God and turning off. 
These, these are the goals that we want to see. <laughs> and then as soon as we build it, the rapture will happen. <laughs> I don't care. Listen, come up and build. There's guys right now. They're up there. They're watching us on the screen. They put down, uh, I think they put down half the pallets. They, we had nine pallets of sod they needed to put down today. And if you've ever put down sod, you will hate your life. And so they did a great work, and they, they, we've been doing work all around the barn. We, we moved the maintenance shed. We're trying to get that all finished before wintertime. Um, and so we, we thank everybody that comes up there. There's some widows in here because their men go up there, and they do work. And ladies, thank you for going up and doing work when you go up. I just want to see God use that property so that we can... We can wait patiently on the Lord. Verse 2. He brought me out of a horrible pit. Amen? Out of the miry clay. What about, what's the deal with the miry clay? Anybody ever gone into what we know here in Horry County, pluff mud? If you don't know what pluff mud is, it is literally from the pit of hell. If you go out to Merle's Inlet, if you go out to Ocean, uh, um, Garden City in the inlet there, I know this firsthand because my son Micah, when he was young, jumped into pluff mud and they're no longer his shoes. They, in the tribulation, we might find them. When the planet is being retransmitted, there's Mike's shoes. And you can't get out of it. It, it. it just sucks you in. That's the idea with the miry clay. You're just held there. you got to have some outside force pull you out. What's the outside force that David is talking about? It's the Lord. You didn't think I could bring pluff mud into a message. Welcome to Horry County. And set my foot upon what? A rock. And establish my steps. The rock is Christ, and we know that from Corinthians. So listen to the, uh, the, the order of events here. I wait patiently on the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit. And it was Christ that I stood upon from that point on. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Now, through the Psalms, there are plenty of sections that say, sing a new song. What I love about the Bible and about singing to the Lord, there are always new songs. But what David is saying is that no one has seen this before. That's why this song is so amazing. And what is the song? It is the resurrection of Christ and putting our feet upon him. What God has done, that's what we sing about. So David says, hey, Lord, put that in my mouth. Praise to our God. And many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. When God does a work in your life, people see your life and they go, man, I saw you. I knew you in high, in high school. I can't believe you're a believer now. And it, th there starts the testimony. Your life has changed. I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. Come on. That was too easy. 
Trying to lighten it up here. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. So happy is the man who does that, who doesn't trust in the things of this world, but trust in a good, good father that is going to take care of him in the things of this life. He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. It would seem that through the Bible, the believer is the smarter one. Have you noticed that? It's not smart because you went to school and got all of this knowledge. You're smart because now your eyes, which were once blinded, now see you were once in darkness. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. But what does light do? Light dispels darkness. Light allows us to see the path. It allows us... All right. Uh, anybody, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, the last one, no, not the last one, number three, is it the, um, the, the cup of Christ? Which one was it? Yeah, the Holy Grail one, there you go. And here's Indiana, and you didn't think I could bring Indiana Jones into a message. But there's this one part where he's almost there, and there is this uh, cavern, right, and it, there's rock on this side, rock on the, it looks the same. And the, the, the message was you got to make a leap of faith, right? And there's Indiana Jones, he makes a leap of faith and he stands and there's this rock, but you can't see it because it's an optical illusion that he takes this gravel and he throws it there. You see, sometimes we need to do that. It's there, we trust in God. He says, where did it, sorry, my thing went down. And do not respect the proud nor uh, turn aside to the lies, the lies of the enemy. Let's just keep going. I was going to bring up the media again. Verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wondrous works, which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. And if I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, we just read this on Sunday morning. This was our psalm. So, many, O Lord God, are your wondrous works which are done. Uh, maybe we'll know in heaven. I don't know how many times our, um, you know, our angel that is assigned to us kept us from dying uh, or kept us out of bad stuff or how many times the Lord has done what he has done in your life and you don't even remember those things. But David says, how wondrous are your works. He says, they cannot, cannot even be recounted in order. But I will declare and speak of them, at least the ones that we know, for they are more than I could number. And then verse 6 gets into a messianic psalm. Jesus spoke of this. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. And my ears have been opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Now, what's interesting about this is he says this, and then it's picked up as well by Paul, but it says, my ears you have opened. Now, um, hopefully you know that in the New Testament, there is something, and in the Old Testament, but because Paul talks about it a lot, and he calls himself a doulos, right, a servant, and it's called a bond servant, and the ritual was this. If you were a slave, 
and you were paying off a debt, but you realized that in my, in my, in the servant's, or in my master's house, life is way better than anything I'll ever have outside. The servant at the end of the period could go to the master and say, I want to become a doulos. I want to become a bond servant. And then the master would take the servant to the gate or usually the city gate because it was in front of the elders, but he, he didn't have to. He could have just done it at his door. And he would take an awl and he would ram it through your ear, right? I mean, think about that next time, ladies. You want to get another ear pierced, right? Uh, no ice, no numbing, just shh, ram it right through. And he would put an earring and he would be forever known as a bond slave, a servant, an under rower. Somebody taking people from point A to point B. What is the servant's job to make someone's, someone else's life better? Now, that's what my ears are open means right here. He said, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. This is a weird statement, but I'm going to make it. God really didn't want any animal sacrifice but it was a foreshadowing of his son. And it was to tell man how bloody sin really is and the consequences for sin. So you read this, and Christ echoes this when he says, hey, in God's original plan, that's not what he wanted for mankind. He didn't want hundreds of animals sacrificed. He certainly didn't want burnt offerings or sin offering. He didn't want to. He wanted man to be in relationship with God, but that was broken by Adam. And then God instituted this sacrificial system, which pointed, and we're going to see that in a second, pointed to Jesus. Notice he says in verse 7, and then I said, behold, I come, again, Christ still speaking, in the scroll of the book, now we know from the New Testament, it says the volume of the book speaks of me. And so, okay, from time to time I make this point that I don't understand why modern day churches don't um, go in the Old Testament. I don't understand that. We're learning about the nature of God in its totality, and all 66 books have one thread, one message of redemption, and Christ is through it all. And Christ even said, listen, I'm in those books. I'm in the Song of Solomon. I'm in Jonah. I'm in all of these books. So why would you stop as a mainline denomination teaching the very books that speak of Christ. I don't get it. Stop trying to be user, you know, uh, seeker friendly. Listen, you're going to offend people. I challenge you. I'm looking at the camera again. I challenge pastors to go in the Old Testament and teach an entire book. Guys, we've, I, I've lived here 19 years. This is our third time through the Bible. I don't know, well, I don't know any churches that have done that in 19 years in the Myrtle Beach, Horry County area. I remember when we were about 10 years old um, in the church, a guy was uh, coming to the church and he had said, I'm trying to remember, he had said that he had lived in Horry County his whole life, so that's unusual to find somebody born, raised, Horry. That's old. Thank you. James is Horry County. His family goes way back. Horsebrook, 
And they were, he came to the church, and he, he was going through, and he goes, you know what? I've lived in this county all my life. I have never been to a church that taught verse by verse through the Bible like that. And I started to realize that we have a purpose in this county. And it was not for me to deviate and go some other way that could build a dynamic church. We could have a big church if we wanted to. I just have to water it down and get skinny jeans. And you don't want to see that. I'm just telling you. Get a cardigan. I mean, you know, but I wear a Hawaiian. I've just offended all of the cardigan people on planet, planet Earth. So my role as a pastor is to teach about Jesus, right? Well, the whole book speaks about Jesus. So that's why we teach it. That's why we're in Job on Sunday morning. And by the way, on Sunday morning, I will declare to you why we are in the book of Job on Sunday morning because people thought we were going to be in Genesis and this order. And so there was a whole hubbub on Sunday about uh, people. I, I heard it. I heard about the hubbub. And so I will dispel the hubbub on Sunday morning to let you know, just so it's free for you guys. Our main purpose here is who? Okay, so as a pastor, I always, uh, we are in a gospel uh, at least every two years. So every two years in this church, we are going through the gospel because it's all about who? Jesus. So sometimes where we are, we have to stop and we'll go and pick up where we left off before. And that's what Job is. You'll learn more about it on Sunday. We probably will have some uh, cool slides for you. But the volume of the book speaks to me, amen? And this is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to, I, I don't want you to do this. Job, Leviticus. Oh, to go through all those sores and the oozing and the pus and the, you know what's in Leviticus? Obadiah, Habakkuk, right? You, you, you have to tell the truth when you're in church. I am telling you right now, the middle of Job is going to be a little bit difficult to weather through. It's hard because it's just nonstop. It's just hard, right? But you got to push through that and you got to see, listen, no, the volume of the book speaks of Jesus. So I'm going to trust that God's word is true and what he said is true. And so therefore, I'm excited about Obadiah. I'm excited about the next book because I want to see Jesus in the volume of the book. Does that make sense? So there is a method to the madness that's inside here. So I delight to do your will, O, o my God, and in your law is, uh, I'm sorry, and your law is within my heart. So I delight to do the will of God. Jesus spoke that. It is not my will, but yours be done. He says, and your law is within my heart. Jesus also said that I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He said, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. Did Jesus 
proclaim the gospel, the good news? Absolutely. Three and a half years of nothing but preaching uh, uh, the good news of his father. He continues. 10, there it is. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart, and I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. I gave them everything that you instructed me to do. You know what was interesting about Jesus, and we see it often in the Gospels, that he goes early in the morning to pray. But do you know what he is doing? He's getting his marching orders for the day. The Father is telling him, these are the divine appointments. I mean, think about that. Jesus, today you're going to meet a woman at the well who's had five husbands. Really, Dad? Yeah. Remember, Jesus chose to lay some of his divinity aside. And this is a very tricky subject. Nobody send me any email about this. Whatever he laid aside, he laid something aside that he didn't have full knowledge of what was happening. That's why he went to the Father each day. And whatever the Father told him, he abided by that and he did that. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't know who was standing in front of him and knew everything. He did because he was what? Fully God. Oh, we shouldn't have gone down that path. He says, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me and my iniquities have overtaken me. Okay, so we're back to David, obviously. Why? Because he just spoke of his iniquities. Did Christ sin? No, he is sinless. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world without spot, without blemish. And so we're back to David. He says, For innumerable evils have surrounded me and my iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up for they are more than the heads of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. But please, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, make haste. To help me. So again, going back to the beginning, this is a, a psalm of David crying out to be delivered from all the issues that we've been seeing in the last couple of chapters. It just keeps building upon it. He says, but please, O Lord, deliver me. In verse 14, he says, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Amen. Lord, just confound them who come against us, who seek to destroy my life, and let them be driven backwards and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. And let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, ah-ha, ah-ha. And by the way, that was of derision. That was like you're cussing at someone back then. He says, let all of those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you and let such as love your salvation continually listen and the idea is saying this the lord be magnified for i am poor and needy yet the lord thinks upon me and you are my help and my deliverer do not delay oh my god so listen to what he says at the end he says in verse uh, 16 and 17 let those who seek you That's us. We're here on a Wednesday night. Why would you come? Wednesday night. You're seeking the Lord. 
He says, those who seek you rejoice and be glad in God. Let such as love your salvation, the idea is what you've done on the cross, continually say the Lord be magnified. It is our heart as we gather together as the body of Christ to magnify God. It is not to magnify our church. It is not to magnify ourself. It is to magnify God, specifically Jesus. But I am poor and needy. So David writes these three psalms. He writes this last chapter. He gets to that great place. And the great place is like Paul at the end when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You think that David would be like, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm king. I, I mean, I wrote a ton of psalms. I got all the building material ready for my son to build the temple. I'm doing okay. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm poor and needy. In his state, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Please don't, as you grow in the Lord, think that you're all that in a bag of chips. Because God will do what to you, church? He will humble you. And he will pound your chips. <laughs> and there'll be those little crumbs. He says, I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks about me. David says, my Father in heaven thinks about me. Think about this tonight. God thinks about you. And he sent his son, even if it was you, he would have sent his only begotten son. He says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Again, perfect to end with. Lord, you're all that I have. And when God is all that we have, we don't go elsewhere. We only rely upon what God has for us. And we trust in him even through those three chapters, even through the life of Job. <laughs> and it's about to get worse for Job on Sunday. All right, we'll read ahead in the next few Psalms. We'll see how more we can do, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, and we thank you for your servant, David. We thank you, Lord, for his openness his willing to lay his heart out and, Lord, cry out to you and his dependence upon you. Oftentimes, we don't do that, Lord. We don't lay our heart before you, confess our sins to someone. And so, Lord, thank you for that opportunity to just be together tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you look upon us, that you know our name and you know every hair on our head. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation. We thank you for your son. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the rest of our week and again bless the men and women who are working up in Arrowwood. Thank you, Lord, for their service. And thank you for the service of those around the building tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.